بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وحده لا شريك له وهو على كل شيء قدير هو الله له الحمد يحيي ويموت وبيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم أنت ربي أستغفرك وأتوب إليك إنك أنت التواب الرحيم ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك إله كريم ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين We started the name of Allah the most gracious, the most merciful forever acknowledging the cornerstone of our belief that we Muslims that have an anchor in existence and the anchor of our existence is our relationship with Allah And that the guide to our path with Allah and for Allah is the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him and his family and progeny and his companions and his successors and all those who followed him in a beautiful and truthful way. That is the cornerstone of what we are as Muslims. And for a Muslim, for a Muslim, there must always be the affirmation of belief that God is not a marginal, marginal complementary item in our existence. The God is not a footnote to be attached to our self-determination and autonomy. The God is not a complement like a spice that you add to food. that God is not simply something that you adopt to boost your ego and sense of self-centeredness or self sense of egoism that God is the direction and the goal, and the objective, and the rudder 
that God is the beginning and the end, that God is the difference between light and darkness, between beauty and ugliness, between justice and injustice, that God is indeed the difference between an existence anchored in the principle of the comprehension and understanding of love and what love is versus the false paradigms of love that simply augment human egoism and individualism. That type of partial false love that favors some humans over others and gives some humans greater value and greater worth than others. The God of love, the, the love of God embraces all, encompasses all. It does not discriminate between human beings and does not divide into human beings into factions of loved ones and unloved ones. It is not something that we Muslims somehow awoke to during the age of colonialism or the age of post-colonialism. We did not emerge in a moment in history whether it's during the colonial era, because most of us don't really know anything about the pre-colonial era, or know very little about the pre-colonial era. But it is not the case that somehow Muslims during the colonial era, or during the post-colonial era, or during the so-called Islamic renewal in the 70s uh, and 80s, uh, it is not the case that this is something that unfolds with the Iranian revolution or, the, or with the Arab Spring or any other main event in our modern or contemporaneous age. It is not the case that we somehow awoke and realized that all God is the center of our existence or that God should be the center of, of our existence. It is not the case that we simply, we, we suddenly started philosophizing how is it that we can organize God as the core of our being that has always been Islam. 
That was the message of Islam from the time that the Prophet was in Mecca and later on the time that the Prophet was in Medina. But even beyond that and further than that, if you are a Muslim and you even did the most cursory reading of the Quran, you immediately realize that the entire the entire main issue that the Quran wrestles with that the Quran anchors as a philosophy of existence the Quran always posits those who think that they can engineer their way and direct their paths in life without the acknowledgement or the embracing of divinity and those who understand very well that the core of our essence is in fine is in, is indeed that divinity they understand it not because it is a political agenda, but because we are simply an extension of that divinity. And when you feel to acknowledge, when you fail to acknowledge the fact that we are an extension of this divinity, this is where you get kuf. Kuf means to deny to not deny the truth of blessings to be ungraceful graceful to be sorry to be ungrateful to respond to what you receive by denying either what the thing received or the giver of the thing received. Kufr literally means an act of ingratitude. And what is this ingratitude? It is simply to say that we are but an extension of what we are, not an extension of divinity. Or shirk is to associate partners with this divinity, to break it up into parcels, pieces, and particles, to, to compartmentalize this divinity in a, in a variety of ways. But kuf is simply to imagine that that divinity exists in its own plane, of course, it could be that you just don't believe in the divinity, so you deny the possibility of divinity. But kufr is to also, kufr can and is and often is, and that's in fact most of the time when the Quran talks about kufr, it is not talking about those most of the time who simply deny the, the possibility that the divine exists but those who refuse to acknowledge that they are a natural extension of the divine.
and that they imagine themselves as standalone human beings, where the relationship with the divine is often tangential or simply ambiguous and unclear. So it might be that they do not go out right and say we don't believe in God, but they don't, but even as bad, is that they don't invest any serious thought, attention, or energy, or moral deliberation into what it means to be an extension of the divine, what it means to be existing in the full view of the divine, rather than existing in the full view of yourself, your loved ones, your family, your clan, your tribe, your nation, your job, your profession, your hobbies, all of us can place ourselves in a situation where what matters to us most is what the family thinks of us or what our friends think of us or what our society thinks of us or what our nation thinks of us. And when we do that, we are acknowledging we are an extension of those categories. But so often we do not acknowledge that we are an extension of the divine. We are from the divine, by the divine, and to the divine. Now, this is not theoretical talk. This is not theological philosophy. This is theological life. We use the word theology to describe a system of beliefs or a system of discourses on creed and belief but the word theology, like a lot of other words that are abstract, in fact describes a, a pulsating living reality. And that is, how do you think about and how do you talk about the relationship between human beings and their maker? How do you talk, think about and how do you talk about your and my and the other's relationship to that almighty and all-encompassing, primordial, non-ending basis for all real things and even all imagined things in existence. We commit small acts of kufr and big acts of kufr. A 
narcissist lives their entire life a narcissist lives their entire life engaged in a huge act of kufr because for a narcissist existence begins with them and ends with them and they don't think beyond that category Small acts of kufr occur every time that we lose sight of the fact of that umbilical connection to the divine. Small acts of kufr every time you confront life without thinking of the role of the divine in it, that's a small act of kuf, because a lot, often it lapses. Every time you're anxious or worried about something without being fully cognizant of the fact that everything is in existence is from Allah and to Allah, that's a small act of kuf. Hopefully it's a momentary lapse. Every time you think about right and wrong without thinking through what Allah would want from you, that's a small act of kuf. Every time you indulge a whim, a desire, a hobby, whatever it is, and you don't think about whether the divine approves or disapproves, whether it affirms your divinity or denies and deprecates your divinity, that's a small act of kuf. So the theology of Iman and the theology of kuf is the core of what it means to be Muslim. It didn't start with the Prophet Muhammad It started with the very first Prophet of Islam, the Prophet Ibrahim and in some theological views, Adam before that. And all the Prophets, all the Prophets came to us with the same basic Aqidah, the same basic message. It is as if they are telling us, people, people, you make a decision. You either live life, live life acknowledging that you live this life in the light of Allah, from Allah, and to Allah, or you don't. It's either God is part of the way that you decide to manage your self, your family, your career, your existence in every way, or you don't. And if you don't, that is precisely what Kufr is about. Kufr is not simply violating technical laws. 
Kufr is not simply atheism. Kufr is not simply abiding by the mechanics of law, because you could be the most diligent practitioner in the world. But if your prayer and your fasting do not increase your awareness or in fact establish your awareness of the umbilical relationship you have with your creator, then your, your practice does not increase your Iman. And if it doesn't increase your Iman, and you are always slipping in these mini states of Kuf, then the, the, the Ibadat are not achieving their objective. And this is so critical to remember. Because everywhere you turn, particularly these days, Islam is being emptied, emptied of all its substantive meanings. Islam is as if being intentionally eroded so that it no longer has a coherence as a system of belief. Those who imagine that Islam can simply be a set of ritualistic practices without a vigorous theology commit a great crime against Islam because no religion can simply survive on habitual practice without a system of thought that supports and justifies and explains and legitimates that habitual practice. Think about it. If you have practice that you don't have a vibrant theology with it, then the practice itself eventually loses meaning and you have what you indeed have today. Muslims around the world saying, I'm having a crisis of faith. I don't know why I pray, why fast, why do this, why do that. And that's precisely because of the state we're in. I want to focus on a very, my, my intentionally, as I said before, khutbahs are not a place to simply exchange religious jargon and dogma and set people are on their way. The khutbah in Islam was designed so those who are with the most knowledge, of course we have a problem with our quote-unquote religious experts in this age, but in theory it was supposed to be those who have the greatest a degree of theological knowledge 
show up in front of the congregation of Muslims and bring that theology to real life and real existence. The, the reason people attend, attend khutbahs around the Muslim world and fall asleep and complain that they get nothing from their khutbahs is that khutbahs everywhere still keep that part of theological dogma, repeating theological dogma, but they don't bother bringing that theological dogma to the unfolding events of the life of a community or the life of the Muslim Ummah in general. And in doing so, they betray their trust. Of course, in so many places, Muslim communities, because of exactly this dynamic, don't even bother with the khatib being a theological expert or the most knowledgeable, because they, they see no value in in the theological expert because they know they're not going to say anything that is actually pertinent to the lives of human beings. And this is a disaster. It's a disaster because the art of Jummah and what happens in Jummah for centuries has been as if a barometer to the health of the nation. As if a barometer to the health of the nation. I will cut to the chase and tell you what is the biggest threat to our ability to produce a systematic public discourse through the forum of the Juma around the Muslim world. Why is it that theology has become divorced from reality? And why is it that we can attend Juma after Juma in anywhere around the world and they all more or less sound the same, they all more or less cite Quran and Sunnah and they all more and more or less are marginal and irrelevant to the affairs of living human beings. And if I would sum it up, I would sum it up in one word. And that word is Tahut. Oppression. The biggest demon haunting the Muslim world, it's the demon of Tahut and our silence before Tahut. The demon of oppressive injustice and our cowering down and towing and kneeling before the oppression of injustice. If you are an extension of Allah and you acknowledge this, and you acknowledge this as an affirmation of faith and a denial of kufr, then by necessity you say anything 
that attempts to share Allah's authority and power and majesty on this earth is an abomination. You'd say, by definition, anything that oppresses Allah's creatures, including, of course, human beings and animals and agriculture, anything that spreads that spreads injustice and suffering is an offense to the Lord, to the divine, and can I, as an extension of the divine, cannot accept it. And cannot abide by it. As I said before, Islam, like all the Abrahamic religions, it praises the poor and the oppressed. It praises those who suffer on earth. It doesn't, not once, praise the powerful and mighty and wealthy. You, wherever you find the hand of God, the strongest, you will find it among the weakest on earth and the most oppressed on earth, not among the most powerful. And that's why our Islamic tradition is full, full of theology about the evils of attaching yourself and making yourself dependent on people with blind, oppressive, despotic, suffocating power. You can't align yourself with Allah and at the same time align yourself with oppression. You cannot align yourself with Allah and at the same time align yourself with power and imagine that this is not an act of kufr. What do oppressors on earth do? They share Allah's hegemony. They share Allah's power. And if you fail to see that and understand that Islam is an unabiding, unabiding call for justice and human liberty and human freedom and human dignity, that Islam basically goes to the oppressed and meek on earth and says, claim your dignity, raise your heads because you are an extension of the divine then you haven't understood Islam at all. I always <clears throat> pause before a narrative in the Quran that shakes me to the point of trembling every time I recite it. 
the Lord, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns to Musa, to Moses, and says, Izhaba ila Fir'aun innahu ta'a. Go to Fir'aun. Go, Allah speaking to Moses says, Go to the Pharaoh. What is it? The way that Allah describes why Moses needs to confront the Pharaoh of Egypt is why? In a simple word, innahu taha, because he is an oppressor, a despot, a tyrant. And initially, Moses is told. فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ أَوْ يَخْشَى First, approach him with kindness and, and, and advise him. Maybe, maybe he'll change his ways. Moses responds tugging at the hearts of so many Muslims with a shred of conscience and reflecting the plight of so many Muslims in our day and, and age. Moses and his brother at this point are addressing, answering God back. As Allah tells us in the Quran, Qala قَالَ رَبُّنَا إِنَّنَا نَخَافُ أَنْ يُفْرِطَ عَلَيْنَا أَوْ يَضْغَى Allah, yes, we'll go. We will go confront the tyrant. We will go speak to the tyrant. But this is a tyrant, God. This is a horrible human being. This is a tyrant. And we are scared. We are scared because we know what tyrants do. Tyrants jail, tyrants torture, tyrants uh, exclude, make people disappear, tyrants murder. We, we, we are scared that he will oppress us, will hurt us. Then comes Allah's response that makes all of us get shivers. Makes all of us get shivers. قَالَ لَا تَخَافَ إِنَّنِي مَعَكُمْ أَسْمَعُ وَأَرَى Lord responds, says, I'm with you. I'm with you, I see and hear. Now Moses and Harun, in approaching the tyrant, the, the kufr of tyrancy, the kuf of being a tyrant, is something that behooves us to remember. Allah says, I am with you, I hear and see. The reason I get shivers is Moses and Harun were prophets. Not all prophets 
were promised that by Allah that they will be protected from all harm. We all know the story of what happens with Moses and Harun, the splitting of the Red Sea, the drowning of the army of pharaohs. But don't forget in this story that there are followers of Moses and Harun that didn't make it, that were tortured to death and were imprisoned. And don't forget that while Moses and Harun were told that Allah guarantees them a victory, we Muslims, modern Muslims, who confront the ugliness of ty the tyranny, the oppression of despotism, which as I said is kufr, have no such guarantee on earth. We have that guarantee in the hereafter, but as you confront ty tyrants, you know that Allah hears and sees all, but you ultimately, as you go confront your, your Pharaoh, and what is confronting the Pharaoh? Confronting the Pharaoh is speaking the word of truth, the word of divinity before the tyrants of the earth. All tyrants on earth. You know that your fate, if you're lucky, will be exclusion and marginalization. And if you're unlucky, it will be much worse than that. That my brothers and sisters, is why so many young people have the crisis of the faith and so many people are turning away from Islam because even if young people don't or even if human beings are not willing to join you in confronting tyrants because they're scared and they don't want to be hurt by tyrants, they'll respect you and they'll look up to you and they'll honor your sacrifice. And in turn, they will honor the system of belief that you were such a good example for. But when they see those who are supposed to be an example to them, a role model in life, not go and confront the Pharaoh, their Pharaoh, in their age, in their day, but cower away in fear and engage in hypocrisy and doublespeak, they say, well, if these people don't have the faith to stand up for the paradigm of Iman, then maybe it has no meaning.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Esselatu vesselamu ala Muhammed ve ala alihi ve ashabihi ve ala taba'u bi ihsanin ila yevmuddin. We live in an odd time. There's a famous thoroughly promiscuous Egyptian actress called Sumayya al-Khashab who has the great distinction and honor of being the first and as far as I know only Egyptian actress to film a sexual lesbian sex scene in an Egyptian movie. She's even more famous for her no-clothes policy and belly dancing and eroticism. Recently, this woman, Sumail Khashab, was given the seal of the Prophet in Saudi Arabia. The seal of the Prophet. This is the symbol, the ring that the Prophet used to wear on his finger to stamp his correspondence with that image was turned into a symbol which is given to dignitaries in Saudi Arabia. The seal of the Prophet was not given to a great scholar or to someone who stands against tyrants or a defender of human rights or a defender of the oppressed on earth. It was given to a woman who embodies sexual promiscuity embodies sexual promiscuity of course Saudi Arabia later on said oh no we didn't honor her with the seal of the prophet we just gave her a, a, a memorabilia which is completely not true because I actually looked into it and investigated it very carefully and she, she has the medallion with, this, with the image of the seal of the prophet If this was a standalone event, I wouldn't even bother mentioning. But it's not a standalone event. I wish also recently the former Imam of the Haramain, the man who used to lead prayer in the Haramain, his name is Kalbani. I heard the strangest fatwa come from him. This is a man, a man for, for, for years, by the way, had, had embodied Wahhabi Islam in every sense. But in Kalbani, a while ago, we saw him playing cards in a video after he had spent about 30 years telling us that cards and chess and backgammon and music are all haram. He was on video playing cards, laughing it up. I, some people say he was even playing bridge. I don't know, but he was playing cards. Anyway, Kalbani is asked by a man, when I attend a music concert, perhaps he meant Mariah Carey's music concert. I do I clap or do I dance? 
Imagine if the Prophet ﷺ was asked by a man, if when I attend a concert, do I clap or do I dance? And Imam al-Kanbani, the great religious scholar of the holy lands, the lands of the guardians of the holy site, says, well, it depends. Do you do clapping better? Are you better at clapping or are you better at dancing? If you're good at clapping, clap. If you're good at dancing, dance. If you're good at singing, sing. Add to this, the head and representative of the Muslim World League, Muhammad Abdukrim al-Isa, goes and meets in a very well-publicized event with a with Jewish representative on the Holocaust Memorial and gives a long speech about how Muslims must feel entirely, must acknowledge the Holocaust and must feel, must feel, must fully condemn the evils of the Holocaust, which I completely agree with. But at the time he was doing this, at the time he was doing this, Israel was bombing Gaza again. And he didn't say one word. And this same man who went out of his way to cry and, 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 and lament the Holocaust, which I completely agree with, again, and it's long overdue, at the same time hasn't said a word about the Holocaust occurring in China against Muslims because his, his boss, MBS, haven't said a word, and has not said anything about the genocide of the Muslim Rohingyas because his boss doesn't want him to say a word, and didn't say anything during this event about the slaughter, the continuing slaughter of Palestinians since 1948. Leave alone the other slaughters taking place in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and the millions of Muslims who perished in the past 20 years which has far exceeded now the number of Jews that perished in the Holocaust. It's a good thing to testify to the truth by condemning the evils of the Holocaust. But when you, represent, when you present part of the truth, when you offer the truth partially, then you are lying. Then that's fraud and deception. You, you can't, the truth cannot be segmented. It's horrible when you've killed six million Jews, but it's not that horrible when over 20 million Muslims have died because of the wars that often the U.S. is involved in and Israel is involved in in the past 20 years. But all of this comes in the context of another. One of the major representatives, a man whose book became very popular among Muslims in the United States and Muslims in England, 
Aad al-Qarni, his book, La Tahzan, or Don't Be Sad, which was translated into exilian languages and sold everywhere. You know, people tell me that he stole this book, it's not his, but that's not the, the, the point. But Aad al-Qarni, first, this, this is a man who, I was literally once, was going to be beaten up because of Aad al-Qarni's fatawa about how music is directly from shaitan and that no Muslim can ever question that music is haram. And then we heard him recently jump up and down like a monkey singing a song for MBS. And, and that was not haram. But recently he's even gone further. And in an interview on TV, he announces that he, on behalf of the Islamic movement around the world, apologizing, apologizes on behalf of the so-called Islamic renewal that took place in the 70s and 80s. And, and he says, Ah, Qarni, oh, that, that Islamic renewal movement made a lot of mistakes. It spread militancy and extremism, and I, on behalf of this movement, apologize to the Saudi people. And of course, he, he doesn't explain in his apology what precisely is he apologizing for. Is he apologizing for the, the rules that taught women that their simple fitna objectives? Is he apologizing for the decades in which you taught aqilat al-wala' wal-bara' which taught Muslims that you are always suspicious of any non-Muslim if, if, if you're not openly hostile to non-Muslims? Is he apologizing for the decades of teaching that Islam is nothing more than about how long you wear your thalb and how long you grow your beard and your hijab and all this the, the minutia of it, is he, what precisely is he apologizing for? Aad al-Qarni was extremely influential. Again, he traveled over 40 countries. He lives in a home that is said to be worth five, six million riyals or whatever that translates in dollars. Doesn't explain any of that. He just explains two little things. The bad Islam is the Islam of the Muslim Brotherhood and the good Islam is the Islam of the Crown Prince. He says we must follow the Islam of the Crown Prince. May Allah aid him and bless him and all of that. Then to add to the comical farce the highest ifta authority in the land, in Egypt, issues a fatwa right after that program by Aad al-Qarni. Says we completely support Aad al-Qarni and we respect the fact that he has apologized on behalf of the entire Islamic movement, that the Islamic movement throughout the 80s and 90s were, were, were committed a lot of sins and errors and so on. And we just add that the evil Islam is the evil of Turkey and Qatar, and the good Islam is the Islam of MBS. 
They didn't say Sisi. Of course, it's understood that it is Sisi, including Sisi. Now, so let's put this picture together. The seal of the Prophet to a representative of promiscuity. And the Imam of the Haramin tells us that if you are an expert clapper, clap, and if you are an expert singer, sing, and if you are an expert dancer, dance. And I, the Qarni, tells us that the bad Islam is the political Islam and the good Islam is the Islam of MBS, which is apparently the Islam of Mariah Carey and you know all the other concerts. The Islam which has murdered 6,000 people in prisons in Egypt in the past couple of years is good Islam. The Islam that murdered thousands of Muslims in cold blood in Rabah is a good Islam. The Islam that, that continues to make people disappear and tortures human beings in the most savage and gruesome way in Egypt is a good Islam. The Islam that, in, that inflicts a genocide upon Yemenis by the Emirat and Saudi is a good Islam. The Islam where that supports the armies of Haftar so that they come, can bomb civilians and kill civilians in their homes is a good Islam. The Islam that supports a Syrian government that, is, that has committed a virtual genocide against its own people and continues to this very day to bomb civilians and kill without even lost number is a good Islam. The Islam that continues to bomb Palestinians in Gaza and, and not even a word of protest to the point that I was listening to the Israeli media and they said we are living our golden age. We are killing the Palestinians and the only country that protested, the only countries that protested so far were Jordan and Turkey. We, we, we love it. That is a good Islam. So then, then let's go back to Fur'aun. This is why I stand with Musa, reliving his feelings when Allah tells him, go to Fur'aun, speak the truth. He has become an oppressor. Because when there is oppression, you cannot worship Allah. You are too terrified and hypocrisy rots your heart. And when hypocrisy rots your heart, then your true God becomes whoever has the power to hurt you. Not Allah. Aetz Karni's God is MBS. Not Allah. The Mufti of Egypt, his God, is Sisi, not Allah. The Mufti of Imam al-Haramain is the king and the crown prince, not Allah. Then I come back to us.
We don't know what Islam stands for anymore. If we used to have a sense that Islam has a certain universe of ethics and morality that it is anchored upon. But with all that is happening and coming from the Muslim world, symbols and examples and role models are keep crumbling right before our eyes, left and right. And this resonates in our very children when they are not proud to be Muslim because they don't know what to take pride in as Muslims. Let's teach our children. Let's teach our children that you want to sum up Islam, you sum it up in the call that Moses and the Prophet Muhammad received this is Islam. Go confront the oppressor, the tyrant, because the tyrant is unjust. And Allah says, I, I am with you. I hear, I see. Even when that tyrant grabs you, even when that tyrant imprisons you, even when that tyrant tortures you, even when that tyrant deports you, even when that tyrant denaturalizes you, even when this tyrant surrounds you and gets you fired from your job, even when this, this tyrant marginalizes you and ostracizes you, I, Allah, I am with you, I hear and I see. And let's just pray that those of us who heed this call, who heed this call and embody the truth of the extension of divinity by standing up to false gods who are the tyrants. Standing up to false gods, the tyrants, that Allah have mercy upon them. And that they do not suffer on this earth as much as so many brave heroes have suffered who have stood up in front of tyrants in our day and age. Allahumma afu anna. lana. Warhamna. Wahdina li akraba min hadha rashada ya aliyya azim. Wansul al-Islam wa ma'izza al-Muslimin. Allah forgive our sins. And guide us to a better path. You all truly are the most reliable God. Allah, Allah, help us stand for the principles and the truth of Islam. Stand before, stand to confront all oppressors and tyrants on this earth so that your message is embodied through true role models and examples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll